People have told stories of the strange and supernatural for centuries. Tales of the restless dead returned to haunt the living. Whispers of damned souls doing the devil's bidding on earth. Rumors of inhuman things that still hunt the old forests, untouched by the glare of modern life. There may be more to these stories than you could ever imagine. Join us tonight as we delve into the deeper truth inside these mysteries. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to another episode. Today we are going to be covering a mysterious disappearance, kind of. I'll get into the details of that, I'll explain more, I don't want to give too much away now. And today I am joined by co-host Matteo from the Whatcast. Hello Matteo. How's it going brother, it's good to see you. It's uh, It's going good. <clears throat> It's going good. I mean, it's crazy, crazy world, but you know we're getting by. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's almost become normal now. I'm used to it. Oh no, not the new normal. Not the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was their term, but I was like, oh, I am kind of used to it now. <laughs> yeah. Well, that you know, it's just part of programming. <laughs> right. Okay. So let's get into this. Not too much in the way of bullshit me today, um, because. There isn't so let's just crack on with the show okay so we're talking about a guy called stephen kabaki and i don't i mean you're not familiar with this case are you no sir okay so this is a disappearance but it's got it's not just a disappearance i don't want to give too much weight to be out on the out on the answer so we'll just get on to this okay so stephen okay was a student and he went to Hope College, which was like a private sort of Christian university. But by all accounts, and this is very close to the, the shores of Lake Michigan, and we all know about, you know, doing the power and we all know about the Michigan Triangle. Okay, so he seemed like just your average sort of guy. A lot of people liked him. He didn't really have too many enemies uh, as such. And a lot of people said he was like... Um, a bit of a risk taker, um, a bit of uh, a bit of a maverick, you know. And he, he loved to go um, hiking, uh, you know, mount, you know, mountain climbing. And sometimes that'd be in a group. Sometimes he'd be on his own. But you know, it didn't bother him. You know, he just liked to be outdoors. He was an outdoorsman. And he did a little bit of um, exploring in Europe. He actually got sent over there as like a part of the, uh, you know, like a college thing. And um, Apparently, he had a good time with the European women as well. So, you know, that comes up later. But while he was there, he climbed a lot of mountains and stuff and did uh, ski, you know, ski hikes and stuff. So, you know, nothing unusual, okay? So now we're going into February in 1978. Now, there's a little bit of conjecture about the the actual date he went missing, um, but it was somewhere around the middle of February, we'll say. Um, I think there was a paper report dated the 21st of February, 1978. So we know he was missing on the 21st, but we're not sure just, you know, let's say it's five days before something like that. Um, And he was going on this hike, basically cross country skiing trip solo. Okay. So he goes out and after a few days, um, he didn't come back when he was supposed to be scheduled to return. He didn't come back. Now, the family just thought, well, you know, he does this all the time sort of thing. We'll give him another day, which, you know, because he enjoyed being outdoors. 
Anyway, another day goes past and he still hasn't returned. So at this point, they contact the local uh, law enforcement and, uh, and they go out and start searching for him. Now, according to the newspaper report, on February the 23rd, 1978, snowmobilers that were just out, you know, out pissing about snowmobiles, basically, found his cross-country skis, right? At first, that's all they found. They just found his skis and footprints that led towards the lake. Now, the lake was frozen, um, again, if you depending which report you read here, you're going to see reports that say that the, the footprints in the snow went onto the lake. Others are going to say it stopped just before going onto the lake. But, you know, whatever the fact remains that the footprints ended, okay? There was no, you know, coming back. It just, there was one way, one direction, footprints and just gone. Um an initial search was carried out in the general area of, of the footprints and the skis, and they did find his backpack um, a little bit away, a little bit away, but not too far away. But again, it's still strange that you know the skis would be there and the backpack would be somewhere else, and he's gone. Um, now, obviously, the investigators. Now, again, if you, depending on what reports you read here, you'll read a lot of reports where they just say. The investigators sort of just said, "Ah, look, the, the the footprints ended the ice. He fell through the ice. That's it." And basically, they wanted to call it, um, you know, that he died by misadventure there and then. Uh, and they didn't really look into it anymore. And that, that's not really true. The family, um, you know, are on record as saying that the police were very uh, vigilant. They, um, you know, they they took the time over this case. They contacted friend, family, friends. Um, you know, did they did all the legwork, so it's, they didn't just say he just fell through the ice and that was it. But obviously, that would sort of explain it. But again, it depends which report you read whether the footprints went onto the ice or not. But there's still no crack in the ice, the ice was intact when the police got there. And it, obviously, this was only a couple of days after he'd gone, you know, and uh, gone missing, and this, the footprints were still there. So, you know, tends to me, tends you know, to my mind, thinking, well, if he'd gone through the ice, then. You'd think the crack, the hole would still be there because the footprints are still there. They haven't had any more. I know water freezes, but you know they had no more snowfall, anything like that. Um, so relatively soon after he'd gone missing, anyway. So at this point, he's he's vanished into thin air. All right. Now his family refused to believe that he died um, by falling through the ice. So they hired a private investigator, all right? And apparently they spent thousands on this. Um, and this guy contacted people in Germany uh, and other places in Europe where he'd been on, like I said before, like he'd gone on this thing. And he actually had like a girl, well, a couple of girls that we've seen in Europe, um, like a holiday romance kind of thing. Um and the contact manager was able to contact them and they hadn't heard from him because the initial sort of belief was maybe he'd gone to Europe to start a new life for these, <laughs> these people, but that didn't turn out to be the case. They couldn't find any uh, flight records or anything like that where he'd bought a ticket to go anywhere. And like I say, they spoke to these people and they hadn't heard from him. As far as they was concerned, the relationship was done. It, it, you know, they both agreed, you know, it's not going to work, obviously. So um, it was just done. So the private investigator didn't really turn up much um, other than that. So at least, you know, the family were a, a little bit, you know, happy that he hadn't 
just up and left. I didn't think he would. And at the time, uh, which is interesting, there's actually a quote here, where at the time he left, right, his father was about to sign over a house to him, yeah? Um, he had three courses left at school uh, and he had no trouble. He was going to, he was going to get his, um, you know, his, his, his bachelor's and stuff, his degree. And he was, you know, there's no issues there. Um, like I say, the, the holiday romance had ended and he was fine. He said he didn't have any troubles with girls and the people that knew him said he didn't have any trouble, you know, getting a girl if he needed one. Um, he also had a job lined up with the Holland Sentinel newspaper. So, now, I'm not saying that people don't kill themselves, uh, people don't go missing uh, when their life is in order. We all know that that does happen. But right. from the from, from <clears throat> just looking at general thing here, Buzz's life, you know, so shit that he might have wanted to go off and think, no, it won. Um, so again, you know, there's that little bit of intrigue there. So anyway, now this is where it gets strange okay i don't know the 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 footprints that just end is kind of strange already 15 months later okay so now may 5th 1979 and stephen returns okay so this is 15 months later now what what happened here is he woke up uh, and he was in a field Okay, he was wearing clothes that he was unfamiliar with. He had a, a backpack with him. And in this backpack, there was um, hitchhiking signs. Um, and there was labeled uh, Sacramento, San Francisco, Reno, Chicago, Utah. So he took from that, that he'd been traveling around, you know, hitchhiking. All, you know, a lot, of, a lot of hitchhiking. But he didn't remember a thing. The last thing he actually recalled was, was walking out on the snow on that day that he went missing. Um, so he's woke up, he's got all this gear on. He even had the, a T-shirt on from completing a marathon, which happened in Wisconsin. And he couldn't remember, again, he couldn't remember running in this or anything. But he did feel when he when he came round that he was exhausted, uh, like he had been running a lot, a lot um, which again is strange. But he was definitely, you know, weary. Uh, in the backpack was $40, $40. He also had new glasses and new shoes. Okay, so again, if you're thinking about 15 months later and he's just been, you know, living off the land or whatever, um, you know, you'd expect him to be in a little bit worse for wear condition, um, but he just wasn't. Anyway, he managed to contact um, the only phone number he could remember off the top of his head, I think was his sister's phone number. And he managed to, or family friend, and he managed to contact them. And they actually told him that just by chance, he'd woken up in uh, Pittsfield, which was 40 miles away from his father's house. His father had actually moved um, and he'd just woken up and he it, it just happened to be he was 700 miles away from where he disappeared, but he was 40 miles close, uh, uh, close to his dad's home. So he was able wow. to, uh, yeah, no, it's crazy, isn't it? But he was able to um, hitchhike the remaining distance and actually knocked on his father's door. And you can imagine what his staff, father thought when he opened the door. Because they, after a year had gone past, they sort of um, had registered him as dead. Um, they didn't want to think of him as dead, but they kind of had to move on at that point. He'd been missing mm -hmm. a year. So this is 15 months later. So you can imagine, you know, the relief from the father when he sees his uh, son there. Again, he asked him, 
as you would, um, what's happened. Um, and he couldn't, he just said, honestly, I can't remember anything. So obviously reporters at this point got involved in the story and they wanted to come and see him. And he didn't really want to talk to reporters at the time. He said he was going to get checked out um, by medical doctors. He didn't want to be examined by a psychologist because he said, there's nothing wrong with me. You know, psychologically, as far as he was concerned, he was, he was just the same as he had always been, but he just couldn't remember what had happened. That was it. Uh, but physically he felt fine, but he did say he would go and see a doctor. And he did. And he checked out. He's fine. Um, again, which is strange, you know, because like I said, it's 15 months here, 700 miles distance. Um, so that's kind of where the story ended. I mean, some of the bits did come out about um, the police. Uh, what had happened is the shortly after he disappeared, like a couple of months later or so, the, a family friend contacted the mother and the mother contacted the police and said that she, she'd had this strange phone call coming in. And this guy on the phone had basically said that um, if you want to know where Stephen is, you need to contact this telephone number. And she gave her the telephone number. Now the, his mum looked into this telephone number and she was actually able to trace it to a, a call that Stephen had made to her a year previous. Okay. So this is like, this is a year before he went missing and she rung this phone number and it, it was um, out of action. But she was able to contact the person whose phone number it originally belonged to, which is a friend. And he said, yeah, he was said that you know, that phone number has been out of action for, for months, um, you know, well before he disappeared. And he hadn't seen Steve and didn't know why this person was saying that he had any contact with him. The police obviously investigated and they f- couldn't find any, any evidence that this guy um, knew anything other than what, everybody else knew about Stephen's disappearance at the time. So that's kind of all the police case was that they, like I say, the reporters eventually did contact Stephen. He did do, you know, one report. And again, he, like I said, he couldn't, he said he just couldn't remember what had happened. He was exhausted when he came around this sort of thing. Um, he said, obviously the hitchhiking sign suggests that he traveled well, uh, although he couldn't remember doing this. Um, uh, he didn't know where the money had come from. He didn't know where the T-shirt had come from. Again, that's pretty weird, isn't it? But this, obviously, situation intrigued him enough where he actually, um, and I should point out here, in his honour, because he was such a good student and all the rest of it, in his honour, when he was missing, they they did actually grant him his bachelor's. Um, they actually gave it to him. Uh, you know, it's like a, you know, like a ceremony thing, um, obviously. So when he did return, he had that which is, you know, a bonus, but he did, um, he did go on to be, to become a psychologist himself because he wanted to know what was behind this, what had happened. You know, was this a psychological? Now he said he didn't have, if you remember, he's today that he didn't think it was a psychological condition, but, you know, it intrigued him enough where he wanted to go and help other people. And he became a psychologist. He did write a book Okay, and everybody was waiting for this book to come out. We want to know what happened and all this. Anyway, he wrote this book. It was called um, Meta Mathematical Foundations of the Existence of you know. And people that have read this book basically say it's it's very difficult reading. It's not you know, it's not a novel. It's not an interesting experience. It's a lot about like quantum physics and stuff like that. And he's trying to explain a lot of things and. And like I say, people that have read the book say, no, it's just, just 
it's not what you thought it was going to be. You know, it's not what he was hoping they was going to explain the mystery, but he just done. He just he's trying to. In this book, you can see he's searching for answers. Um, but yeah, he just didn't get them. So I think he's still alive today, but he doesn't talk about it. But yeah, as far as we know, that's the story in a nutshell. He doesn't remember anything that happened and he may never know. Yeah, that's strange that he was so well taken care of. I mean, even if he was to say he had amnesia, he was clearly cared for. New shoes, that takes money. He wasn't malnourished, that takes being fed. Um, if you're surviving on the fat of the land after not surviving on the fat of the land, you're going to become malnourished no matter what. You're not going to be eating regularly. So for, for him to come back in perfect condition is very strange. One of the, there's a few things that pop in my head when I hear this story is um, tra trauma can do some of the most insane stuff to people. They will do some of the most crazy things. I've mentioned on our show about a case, I was reading about a serial killer and he had grabbed this girl, threw her in the car, took her to the woods, it's been a end of her life. And she was panicking the whole time, of course. And then she said, she just got really calm. And she said, I know why you're here. You're here to help me to study for that exam for next week. Right. And he said it tripped him the fuck out. And he was just a testament of what coping mechanisms can activate when you're going through trauma. And we can, we can explain it away as some tra traumatic thing happening, but he wasn't grievously injured. Um, he doesn't remember, did he ever do any uh, hypnotic suggestion or hypnosis no. or anything? No, uh, it just don't, it doesn't seem like he wanted to do any of that. He just wanted to um, not forget about it, but he just didn't, he didn't want to accept that there could be anything. By what I get from listening to the guy and reading about him, he didn't want to accept that there could be something wrong with his brain that had caused this. Um, mm -hmm. And so he just wanted to stay away from that. Or maybe, you know, um, I mean, I don't know if you remember Unsolved, Unsolved Mysteries. Um, they had a case on there where this guy had stopped for a hitchhiker and this hitchhiker smacked him over the head with, um, with I don't know, with some piece of wood or a club or something. And, uh, and robbed him, took his car and everything. And and this, I think this guy was a salesman, so he was out of town anyway. And when he came round, um, he walked into town. The town people took care of him, but he couldn't remember anything um, about his previous life. He couldn't remember his name. He couldn't remember anything. And he was, uh, anyway, he turned out to be a nice guy. The, the, the town looked after him and he got a job and he settled in his town. And I think it was like years later, somebody recognised him. Um, and said, oh, you're so-and-so. And he said, I'm not. I'm going to give himself a new alias now. And and they said, no, no, you're you're definitely this guy. Anyway, they he said, I, I just can't remember any of that. And I, I, all I know is I woke up on the roadside, bang on the head. And uh, anyway, they managed to um, get photographs of him from his previous life. And it was it was him. Um, and again, when he came around, he didn't have any idea or anything because this guy had robbed him. But they actually brought his wife because he had a wife and they brought this wife to see him 
And uh, I say this is like a few years down the line, but he just met his wife and he said to her, you know, I, I don't even fancy her. You know, I don't even... <laughs> <laughs> so, so whether he did before, <laughs> but he didn't know how to tell her, but he just said, I, I don't, I don't remember you. Right. I don't remember any of that life. And I certainly don't want to be with you now. I think he even had a new family at this, this, um, this thing, but he just couldn't remember any of it. Now, what's weird in this uh, Stephen Kabaki case is that he could remember everything that went before. He just couldn't remember the bit in between. It's that's mm-hmm. kind of weird, isn't it? That's kind of weird. Now, I know you're talking about trauma, and, and we know, don't we, that that you can get these screen memories, um, block out certain things. I mean, I've had it, I've had it happen to me when I saw that UFO. It was years later that I remembered about it. I could remember everything else. I just couldn't remember that particular incident. It was almost like it was blocked from my mind. Now, whether that was something they did, whether it's something that you just your mind does, because we hear about it all the time, like car crashing things. But I don't know. It just seems weird to me that there's that bit, that particular middle bit missing. I mean, obviously, we can't rule out that he's just making it shit up, but it doesn't sound to me like he is. Right. And such a specific uh, thing like remembering before his life before and just missing this little bit of time i mean mm. i gotta go with the abduction thing i mean that's the first thing that pops in my mind where we see yeah yeah fragments of time like that well i tell you <clears throat> how much detail he remembers right up to like the second he went missing because he remembers that the um he got a bit lost to be fair he come out out of the wood line and obviously came onto this this lake, but he got a bit lost. He got a bit turned around and it was getting really cold. And he was actually a bit worried about his safety. That's the last thing he remembers before walking onto the ice and disappearing. I mean, he didn't have an injury. So, I mean, I don't, I, I have no idea what that could be. But, this, cause that. but the thing is, it's 15 months later. So would have, you know, if he had got a bang on the head, that would have probably been taken care of, I imagine. But, yeah, you know he doesn't remember having any injury, which again is is, is strange. So, and anyway. well, how his track stopped too? I mean, if he if he just uh, I mean, obviously that's the strange thing about this case. And to me, I don't I haven't heard of this too much. While he was gone, he obviously made up a different personality, just like the guy who got hit on the the side of the road by the hitchhiker. I mean, down to the Point where his taste in women changed yeah but well, we don't so... know in fairness <laughs> <laughs> yeah he could have been like yeah. oh, God, would you like but he's literally just made a second persona i mean his mind is powerful enough to generate a second persona to live a life for over a year but then not retain any knowledge of it mm. that's that's almost can be too bizarre for how weird the human brain works and stuff like that. It almost, I mean, it's gotta be an abduction or maybe he was kidnapped or, you know, it's a government experiment type thing to, to be able to function that long and then not remember it. But I mean, that happens with normal amnesia, right? They just don't remember the past, but to have a fragment like that, I mean, you all, I only hear that in UFO stuff. Because back in the nineties, that was a big thing, missing time. Yeah. They had missing time. So bizarre stuff. It's a weird case, isn't it? It's a weird case. But yeah, it is. if anyone's got any ideas on that, answers on a postcard. Yeah. Yeah, I like the cases that, uh, I like the missing 411 stuff. 
they they had that case like uh, a couple years ago where the little five year old boy went missing in his grandma's backyard that was connected to the woods, and they they found him a few days later under some branches. He said he, the bear took care of him. Yeah, bear brought him food and stuff like so. That little kid remembered what happened when he was gone. I wonder what would happen if if this guy went through some hypnosis, talking about rainbow dinosaurs with flamethrowers and machine guns and shit like that. It would Maybe be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, but I don't know if he. I don't know if he wants to know. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It sounds like he has a little bit of that, and and, and a little bit of touch of not wanting anything to be wrong with his brain. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe yeah. he became a psychologist to study the brain. You know, as to far as why memories are blocked. Maybe that's what he was trying to get to the bottom of. Yeah. Maybe he's trying to unlock his own memories in private, sort of thing. Right. Which could happen. Yeah. Yeah, but those cases in the woods. Always interesting, but there's a couple of cases, and one I, I wanted to talk about in particular, where these things happen right in front of everybody. And this is a story about a 27-year-old kid named Brian Schaefer from Ohio. He's a real bright kid. He got his bachelor's degree in microbiology, and shortly after getting that, he enrolled in medical school, where he excelled, but let people know that this, quote, doctor thing was just a job. His goal in life was to be a musician. He, he wanted to play shows, sit on beaches, and drink margaritas. Nice. So he, he was good at his studies, but it was just kind of a side thing for him. But after he started medical school, he met and fell in love with a young lady and fellow student named Alexis Wagner. And two years after his studies, sadly, his, his mother died from a rare form of cancer. And this hit Brian exceptionally hard. And he fell into a deep depression, so much so that he actually sat Alexis down and expressed his mental state and he suggested that she'd probably be happier with somebody else because he was so distraught over this and just jaded. We, we all know how that goes, but yeah, yeah. Alexis, Alexis later confirmed this and he was in this depressive state and several statements she made. And she even adds that Brian was able to snap himself out of this funk and get himself and his relationship back to normal. And she even said that their relationship grew stronger and became more serious than ever before after this. So it looked like he got past that. But where the story gets weird is during spring break of 2006, Alexis and Brian made plans for their time off from school with Alexis spending the first half of it out of town visiting friends. And when she returned, they were both to head off to Miami to finish off their vacation. And with Brian by himself for a week or so, he planned a good old-fashioned guy's night out with a, a good friend and former roommate, a guy named William Clint Florence. I'm going to call him Clint from here on out. If you, if you read the case, they're going to call him Clint or Florence. But uh, they planned to do a good old-fashioned bar crawl, and it is, they decided to start at a place called the Ugly Tuna Saluna, which was an upstairs bar. had an escalator that read, led right up to it. And... Uh, Brian was dangerous. Yeah, right. Uh, Escalator (laughs) outside of a bar in a college town. Uh, But uh, he was going to meet Clint there at 9 p.m. And he did on April 1st. Now at 10 p.m., Brian called Alexis and they exchanged the common pleasantries. He let her know that he's going to go on this pub crawl with his friend. She knew who Clint was. They talked about how excited he was about their trip and how much he loved her. He told her that uh, they were just going to do this crawl and just have a good old-fashioned time, not worry about anything, easy-peasy stuff. 
after he made that call, shortly after he made that call, Brian and Clint left to go start this crawl. And they went to a few other places. And while at one bar called the Short North, the two ran into a friend of Clint's named Erica Reed. And they drank and hung out. And uh, after a while, they around midnight, they asked Erica for a ride back to the Ugly Tuna. And she agreed and even said that she wasn't ready to call a night and said she'd go in with him and get some drinks. Now, this is a bar, 2006. There's cameras everywhere. Yep. The three of them were caught on camera heading up the escalator and walking in to the tuna at 1.15 a.m., which I find strange because if they were just walking to these pubs, that's an hour or 15-minute time gap from this ride from the short north to the tuna. But later at 1.55 a.m., camera caught Brian at the top of the escalator talking with two women who Clint identified as classmates from school. And after a few moments, it shows Brian walk back into the Ugly Tuna, where the three friends decided that it was probably time to head home. Erica and Clint said, sure, but they were going to finish their drinks, and then they would head out. Uh, but it was at this time that they said they become separated from Brian. Erica said Brian was talking to Clint, turned around and looked at the stage that was in the bar, and he said that he was going to go check out the equipment on the stage. He is a, a musician, aspiring musician. And he said that after a few minutes, they started to look for Brian so that they could all head out. And they said they looked until the bar made its last call. And at this time, a large group of people started heading towards the door and they couldn't find Brian in this group. They assumed that Brian caught a cab home uh, because he was just not there, so they went home. The next day, Alexis tried to call Brian, and there was no answer. Another day goes by, she doesn't get an answer, and she called him all day, and just it just wouldn't answer. But by Sunday, she called, I read two things, his brother or his father, and told him that she just couldn't find him. So they got the police involved. They got a, they launched a full investigation. Uh, they were actually able to track down and identify every patron that was in the bar that night because of the cameras. There were so many cameras on the bar and its entrance and inside, so many security cameras. But what makes this, this case so crazy to me is that no camera ever showed Brian leave or take the escalator from the bar. There was only one entrance to the bar. There was a, like a shipping elevator in the back. And they thought that maybe he could have exited that way. But they even had cameras from other businesses that were perfectly pointed at this elevator exit. He never came out of it. So they couldn't figure out what had happened. They put a cadaver dog in the bar. They picked on up on his scent momentarily, and the dog lost it and never returned. The dog never found his scent. Uh, but the police couldn't come up with anything, so they grew suspicious of Erica and Clint's story. So they ordered polygraph tests for Erica and Clint and for Brian's dad, Randy. Randy and Erica passed, but Clint outright refused to take a polygraph test and instantly lawyered up. 
Now, there's a lot of talk about why he did that because you know, Brian's family thinks that he might have had something to do with it. But his lawyer has spoke out for him and said, I told him to do that. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're the last person to be seen with 20 of your friends and they come up missing and now they make you. Act. That's what I the fuck would do. I'm sorry. I would yeah. lawyer up too. Yeah. So I don't find that too suspicious. Um, no, because uh, at that point, you, you're almost introducing your own evidence, aren't you? If you fail the polygraph test. Absolutely. You know, you're putting yourself yeah. right in the picture whether you had out to do with it or not. Yeah, totally. So they never found anything of Brian. There was He never left the bar. He yeah. vanished. And they never found anything ever since? Nothing? Never. Yeah, They weird. never found nothing. How, A month how, after... Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, how can... You know, they found every person that was in the bar... They managed to contact due to the surveillance, the news there. But there's just no footage of him. That's just totally bizarre. It is. And when I first started reading this, I just saw some kind of like a, maybe a shopping mall, really high up camera pointed. Yeah, towards yeah, yeah. But they, they make mention that bar had cameras all over the place. There well, were that, cameras if, all over that area. If they was able to trace everybody else there, it must have had plenty of cameras. Yes. They you know, said and just, not only that, but we know it caught him going in. So... Mm-hmm. You know, so we know, don't we? It was definitely functioning and definitely um, a decent quality of quality because they was able to pick them out. So, hmm. but even yeah. if the, even if that other fellow had out to do with it, he couldn't have hit him in a bar. No, not at all. And his body was never found in the bar. So it's, I mean, again, dead or alive, he's not there. No, he's just not there. And the, the town you're in is the most surveilled town in that state. There's cameras everywhere, all over the place. And they, he was never seen again on any camera, not walking home, nowhere. Mm. But about a month after he disappeared, someone did break into Brian's apartment. But the police ruled that it was unrelated to his disappearance. They said it was uh, not uncommon for that to happen in that area when houses are just sit there like that for a while. Yeah. Uh, apparently, he's a big, huge Pearl Jam fan. And when Pearl Jam went to Ohio after he disappeared, they stopped the show to talk about Brian and his case and ask for people's help. And even psychics would phone in tips to the police. Um, and some of these tips, you know, one said that he was under a bridge, dead under a bridge, and they did searches of the area. They never found anything. Um, Alexis would continue to call Brian's cell phone for months after this, every day. And it would go straight to voicemail like the phone was shut off until sometime in September. She called and his phone rang three times before it went to the voicemail. And the, the police pinged the, the, where the call came from. His phone didn't have GPS, so they had to use old school methods to be able to do it. But it came uh, from an area that was 14 miles away from the tuna. So, mm-hmm. I mean, hearing that, and you know, you could say, yeah, he just might have wandered off. Maybe foul play happened. Maybe he got hit by a car. His phone's there. But 14 miles walking around when you're hammered drunk after doing a pub crawl, I'm not yeah. walking 14 yeah. miles. You know, no. I mean, if I did, I would no. definitely get lost. But it's still, it's no matter, <laughs> no matter what, I try to come up with what happened in this case. It just doesn't matter because he never left. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean that's that's the weird bit that that point of separation again. You know we've covered it before with the Manchester situation, the canal deaths there. But 
<laughs> in all those cases, it's never two people. It's never three people. It's always one person gets separated from the group, either goes outside for a fag or, uh, in one case, went outside for a piss. And um, that's it. Just never returned to the bar. You know? And I just don't know what's going on. I know there's loads of theories in that, but... Yeah, there's a lot of theories surrounding his case. A lot of people thought that he might have uh, wandered off and just wanted to leave. And maybe he killed himself. They talked about his mother dying and how hard that hit him. Mm. I, I guess it was it was only some 25 days after his mom died that that this happened. Yeah, when you drink, uh, when you're drinking, that's gonna yeah boost all that those bum feelings out. But uh, there's there's some speculation that the, a serial killer called the Happy Face Killer. There's somebody that may have killed him and hit his body like his other victims, but police and even the FBI just can't link the cases together. It still doesn't and explain he, how they didn't see him leaving the car, does it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I wonder, I wonder how, I wonder how sharp the police were doing this. I mean, did, did they start checking like storage boxes in the back of this bar? Maybe somebody, you know, ice picked him in the back and put him in a, a barrel for whiskey that's empty. Just put it on the elevator in a couple of days and had it shipped off somewhere else. Who knows? But it's still, I, I, there's maybe there's a way he could have got out of there if he was murdered, but there was no blood anywhere. If there was blood, the dog would have picked up on it for sure. Yeah. No question. He would have been followed a trail, uh, you know, even if there was no more blood after that, of where that blood went. But there's just absolutely nothing. The guy turned into nothing. Mm. Yes. In front of a in, in a crowded building, in front of everybody, not in the woods, not uh, on some hike, not in a, you know a lonely part of town. He just disappeared from inside of the building, full of people. Yeah, <laughs> it is weird. It's almost you know I, you know obviously looking into the four one one stuff and that it does make you think whether the. Because what, what's intriguing is, like, in a lot of cases, not this one, but in a lot of cases, they do return. Uh, in most cases, the dead. But, like, an area that's been searched, and then, you know, three days later, the body's found in that area that's been searched. And not always, like, um, you know, hidden. It's not like they're hidden. They're sometimes, like, in plain sight on a trail, you know. But it's just it just makes you wonder what's going on. I mean, obviously, uh, you, I mean, it's just speculation, but it's almost like the universe just picks people every now and again, you know what I mean? Just gone. Yeah, they pop out of existence. There's so many cases from the missing 401 stuff and even other cases of people going missing to where they're standing next to somebody. Mm. If somebody turns their head to spit on the floor, looks forward and t- takes a look to the right to look at their friend and they are not there anymore. There's people yeah. who... There's people who've been walking side by side by people. There's a, I'll, if I can find it, I'll send it to you. There's a good YouTube channel where they cover a lot of the missing people in the park stuff. And they don't just focus on the missing 401 stuff. They cover all that stuff. But there's people who've been walking in national parks and they lift their leg to take a step and it disappears. Mm. There was a case like that years ago um, in the in the UK. Um, I think it was like back in the 1800s or something. But there was two guys... Basically, this guy had said that he, you know, he's one of these tossers, really. He was just saying, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the fastest guy running, you know, sprinting in this town, all that shit. So eventually somebody challenged him and said, 
go on then, you're always going on about it. Why don't you prove it, Sue? So he's like, prove it. So he went, okay. So he, he reckoned he could run between two towns um, quicker than anybody else. So these these uh, guys met him this particular morning and they was in a horse and trap, you know, a horse and uh, carriage. And they these two fellas on this horse and carriage followed him. So he's running along the road and they're following him to see how long it takes him to get to this other town. And he's sprinting away. And next thing they know, he trips. And before he hits the ground, he vanishes. Boom. And they stopped the they stopped the uh, pony and trap and jumped off. And they looked and they could see his footprints in the mud. Um, and then all of a sudden just stopped. And they never found him. And they raced back to town. And he's, he just, that was it. He's never found again. Yeah. That's but, yeah. just so weird. Is but that was something... Was- do we got to worry about being able to do we have to worry now about like just disappearing <laughs> is that something that fucking yeah yeah now? it does happen <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you hear, i mean you hear about so many um well in in michigan uh the rosabelle the ship there uh, 1921 11 people inside the rosabelle yeah the ship disappeared and she was found overturned in the lake but no no sign of damage or or, or collision to the ship uh, and you know, no accident was reported, but the, the crew was just gone. Mm. You know, you get so many of these, don't you, at sea? Where I know sea's different, but you get so many where they just vanish. I mean, have you heard about Captain Donna? No, I don't think maybe, maybe I have. I when it comes to disappearances, when you hear say cat, I think of the cat's two boat. Which is but another boat. Yeah, you might have heard of this one. I mean, it's you know it's commonly spouted, but just for example, just while we're on the situation of disappearing people, um, Captain George R. Donner, okay, he was in Michigan Triangle area again on April 28th, 1937. Captain Donner vanished from his cabin, okay, after guiding his ship through icy waters. The captain went to his cabin to rest. About three hours later, a crew member went to alert him uh, that they were near in port. The door was locked from the inside, and the mate had to break down the door when the captain didn't answer to only find that the captain had disappeared with no evidence of a struggle, nothing, just just gone. But the door was locked from the inside. And you know, as well as I do, on them on them ships, there ain't no windows, you know. If you have got a window, it's a tiny little portal, you know, obviously. So... He's, there's no way for him to get, escape that room and the door that's locked <laughs> from the inside. It's just gone. Right. But luckily for the rest of the crew, it was just him that vanished that day and not the rest of them. So they live to tell the tale sort of thing. But you do get these these ships where, you know, the whole crew just goes missing. Mary Celeste is obviously a good example of that. But Yeah. So there seems to be particular regions, uh, Michigan Triangle, obviously what's going on in Manchester, Um and there's other hotspots around the world where this does seem to be on oh, Bermuda Triangle be one, um, you know, something going on in that thing. But whatever it is, I mean, if you actually look at us on a, you know, on a, a microscopic level or I guess quantum level, we as human beings, we are held together by the minimal, minimal of, um, of, strength if you like it's like you know our cells are our cells want to explode um it's just a quirk of nature that they don't it's like 
you know, you couldn't set the cell up any better for it to be a cell. It's like literally, if it was a little bit diff that, that way, a little bit that way, the nucleus is a little bit bigger, then the thing would just collapse. So it mm. makes you wonder, doesn't it? If, if, but again, that doesn't explain how people come back. That explains maybe, but again, it doesn't explain it, does it? Because you've still got clothes on. You've still got, um, in certain situations, you're carrying, um, say, a backpack or, um, you know, watches, jewellery. You know, these, you know, your body might disappear, but these things, you wouldn't expect these things to disappear with you. And that's right. intriguing in itself. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, we just we just did an episode about uh, phantom attackers and these cases of uh, you know, people popping out of existence like that reminded me of a story that Mike talked about. It's from the 1700s in Italy where these, these four women were walking back from, I think, uh, a lake back to town. And they were walking and one of them just stopped and dropped dead. And when they went and looked at her, they freaked out and got everybody. And they came back and saw that her head had been hit so hard, her skull was exposed. She had two gashes across her stomach so bad that her intestines were falling out. The meat and skin from her hip to her knee was gone. Her left thigh was so ripped open it could expose her thigh bone, which was broken. So maybe not also people can disappear, but seemingly explode. Yeah, well, I mean... Did that happen in front of them other women then, or did that's what they come back to? The, they said they saw her dr- just stop walking and drop dead. So uh, from what I understand, they checked her and she was dead. So they went and got help. But they weren't long. They, it wasn't, they weren't too far from where they lived. You know, back yeah. then, they're not going to be six miles from the lake. I mean... There was no blood. They didn't find any of the missing pieces anywhere. No, that's weird. That is weird. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of, you know, and I've discussed this at length on many occasions, but that sort of feels like the, the cattle mutilation things. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I'm really not convinced that that's aliens doing that. Um, I do think that's an unknown force. I mean, you remember the Atloff Pass? I mean, the, the actual investigators there said it was a compelling, compelling force. That's what they described it as a um injured these hikers and obviously there's loads of different forces out there but it, it i mean that sounds like there's something out there that's of this world you know whether whether it's you know I, I, i'm not sure if it's aliens i'm not sure because again and i always come back to this but when these cows land, and it sounds like in this case with this lady as well, it's the same thing. It's like she was face up, um, presumably, and these injuries were, you know, to the put to the part of her that was face up rather than the rear of her in this case. So you see that in the cows, you see that they the side that's laid on the ground is never is nearly always intact. It's always the side that's exposed. Um, right. You know that, and again, if that was being dropped from a, you know, a craft or anything, then the chance of it falling. Obviously, this damage must be done in the craft. So, if it was coming, if it was, it wouldn't fall and then land always on the that way round. So obviously, this damage is taking place when it's on the ground. But you know, people say, well, 
yeah, but some of the cows have broken bones and things like that. Yeah, but if there's a, some sort of creature that we don't understand um, that's wrestling these things to the ground or, you know, even picking them up and slamming them, you know, like, a, you know, imagine a giant, for instance, picking a person up and slamming it on the ground. Um, yeah. You know, you'd have certain broken bones there and all the rest of it. And if it was going to eat you, it'd eat you from the front. And I don't know, but... Maybe I don't know if that's what's happening with the cows. I don't know. It's, uh, but it just seems strange. It does seem like there's something that we haven't got to grips with yet. And whether we will or not, I, I don't, I mean, again, you know, I don't think we'll know any of the answers maybe in our lifetime. I don't know, but things do move quickly. So. Yeah. I think that that cattle mutilation stuff is maybe, I, I always felt that, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I always throw the word government to everything, but I think that, there's most likely some entity that's allowed to do that. That's some, they let something do that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's something that, you know, we can do the whole Stephen King thing and it shows up once every four years and then eats and they leave one or two cows out far away for this thing to fucking do it to. And it gets used to that and does it to other people's cows. Who knows? But it it, it seems like uh, there's, there's weird things like the cuts and, you know razor precision surgical precision and stuff like that that almost void out some type of animal but then again in jetlock pass this is unseen force you know broken bones without bruising skin and then we just cover the what was that kamar daban mountain incident which was just right around the corner from jetlock pass and you know, that they just all started foaming out the mouth and, and hitting their faces on rocks you know <laughs> yeah. what was that appalling was that was that some type of pheromone from an unseen animal? Who knows? We can't begin to explain things when we're talking about the the, the weirdest of the weird stuff like this. You know, just we're talking about cryptozoology since we're kids, we love that stuff. And then you hear about creatures of the lumber woods, and you're like, whoa, that's a step up in weirdness. And then yeah. you're talking about people turning into nothing in front of other people. I mean, we can't even begin to speculate. We can't, I mean, is it a creature? If it is, it's not a creature that we can begin to understand. Is I mean, it a portal? Is, you know, what is it? I mean, I've seen, I've seen a, a being, um, as far as I could tell, it was a physical being, disappear in front of my eyes. Um, so I, I, can't even, I can't even begin to explain how, how that can happen. How could this creature have this ability you know, yeah. it, it didn't cloak or, you know, or like it vanished. It just, one second it was there, next thing it was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, how how have they got, I mean, we don't know. I mean, obviously these creatures could have been, uh, you know, if this is a typical archetypal theory, I guess. But if this thing had been around, no, these creatures might have been around for, for millions of years, you know, for, you know, longer than us, we don't know, but maybe they've got this grasp of, um, again, I don't know why a creature would evolve to do this, but obviously they have got a different grasp of, it's not technology, is it? Cause it wasn't, it didn't have technology on it. It didn't have, didn't really have any clothes on. So it didn't have any pockets or anything. So it didn't have, you know, like, um, you know, like a star, star Trek or something where they can just beam themselves up, but they have to, they have to some device or something, but, I don't know. I don't know. That's, yeah. That's all I can say. I don't know. It's just, it makes me wonder if anybody does know what's going on, you know, if anyone's got one of these in a lab and, 
Oh yeah, it makes me think of the SCP stuff. Somebody's got to be studying these things somewhere, and then it's probably deemed so dangerous that they just let it be. Yeah, it's it's just something that's there. They can't really do anything or control or predict where it's going to be. Like you're talking about, you know, it may not have otherworldly technology, but it may have had otherworldly physiology. Mm. Maybe being able to disappear is just part of uh, farting. I mean, it's something that simple. That's what it does. It's able to do it. Maybe it's able, maybe it didn't disappear. Maybe it was able to um, do something to our mind where we can't see it. Right. You know, where it, so it was actually there, but we just couldn't see it for that split second where you know it needed to escape. I don't know. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. Yeah. Anyway, we could we could uh, we could talk about this shit all night, I suppose. So we'll have to call it in. <laughs> but um, I just want to thank you for coming on. Um, I'm sure people are aware of the Wattcast, but if not, go check it out. Uh, you can find it anywhere. You get your podcasts pretty much. And you'll be, I was going to say mildly entertained, but you'll be very entertained. <laughs> <I do>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, sir, for having me on. It's always a blast. It's always good to see you. Nice one. And uh, and I'll be sure to join you at some point. Absolutely. Anytime, man. Anytime. We just, it's time zone suck. I hate time zone, man. It's, it's not just Mike's in a different time zone than I am, too. So yeah, I know, yeah. It's, it's a real struggle. I hate it sometimes. It's uh, it's hard work, but hey ho, uh, we'll somehow we'll figure it out. Yeah. But that being said, uh, yeah. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, you know all that Patreon stuff. Go and join Patreon if you want. You don't have to. Can't make you, but I'd appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> I'd appreciate if you did. Uh, if you want to support the show, go on Patreon, and uh, we'll be back as soon as we can. So yeah, that being said, the. Uh, We'll see you on the other side. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> That's cool. I, I listen to every episode to hear you say, see you on the other side. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> I don't know why I started saying that. I don't, I don't know. I love it. Well, they've gone. No, just for now. It wasn't the right time for us to meet. But there'll be other nights... Other stars for us to watch. They'll be back. Mm-hmm.